You're listening to 1001 Album Club, where each episode we discuss a different album from Robert Demery's book, 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. We'll be talking about Devo. Are we not men? We are Devo. In the room, I have Anne. Hi. On the line, I have Rob. We must repeat. Kyle. Yeah, yeah. And Ben. D E V O. Are we not men? We are Devo is the debut studio album from the American New Wave band Devo. It was originally released on August 28th, 1978, on Warner Brothers. The producer was Brian Eno. And the genre is new wave, post-punk, art rock, and punk rock. And I'm going to read from All Music Review, Steve Huey. Produced by Brian Eno, Are We Not Men, We Are Devo, was a seminal touchstone in the development of American new wave. It was one of the first pop albums to use synthesizers as an important textural element. And although mostly played a supporting role in this guitar-driven set, the innovation began to lay the groundwork for the synth-pop explosion that would follow very shortly. Are We Not Men also revived the absurdist social satire of the Mothers of Invention, claiming punk rock's outsider alienation as a home for freaks and geeks. While Devo's appeal was certainly broader, their sound was tailored well enough to that sensibility that it still resonates with a rabid cult following. It isn't just the Dada's pseudo-intellectual theories or the critique of the American mindset as unthinkably submissively conformist. It was the way their music reflected that view, crafted to be a mechanical and robotic as their targets. Yet Devo hardly sounded like a machine that ran smoothly. There was almost unbearable tension in the speed of the jerky, jumpy rhythms, outstripping Talking Heads, XTC, and other similarly nervy new wave bands. And thanks all to the dissonant angular melodies, odd numbered time signatures, and yelping sing-along vocals, the tension never finds release, which is the key to the album's impact. It also doesn't hurt that it is arguably Devo's strongest set of material, although several brilliant peaks can overshadow the remainder. All right, what do we think of Devo? What, what, what do we, we think of Devo? Men? What do you guys think of Devo? We I'm dying Devo. to hear about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's thanks. Uh, quick question before you get into it: Is is Devo your favorite band? Would you or would you put them in the top five or what? Yeah, they're 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 definitely top five okay. for me. Um, top three over here. Okay. Yeah. Top. 20 for me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What, what do we think of Debo? 
this this record actually took me longer to get into than uh, most of their other stuff. I started, uh, Kyle and I both started a little bit. At least you were with me while I started <laughs> listening to Devo, Kyle. Uh, no, um, I started with their more synth poppy like stuff from the 80s. Uh, the uh, Oh No, It's Devo record was the one that uh, introduced me to them. So like moving, working backwards to this, um, there's an album before, there's an album that uh, comes directly after this one, uh, Doing Now for the Future. That's my favorite of their records. Same. And that Same. has a lot of the tracks that they had already, like, actually, they, it's all of the other tracks that they had already, like, put down, like, demos for that both uh, Question and Answer and that, like, are are all the same, like, uh, this is what they were writing at a particular point in time. Um, I just think that the music on uh, Do Now for the Future is stronger than this one. Not to say that this one isn't awesome, because it absolutely is, but uh, it's uh, it's more in line with the, the tracks from the 70s that I was really into that Devo did. Um, like, there's no Smart Patrol Mr. DNA on this record. Um, there's no... Uh, what else? What, this, I'm, I'm talking too much. This has the hits, though. This has Mongoloid. It has, it has hits. It has satisfaction. But there's hits that it doesn't have also. It's true, but I think this was a this is a strong debut. Oh, absolutely. Oh, for sure. I mean, and, and two of the songs, at least two of the songs, they had already like released themselves um, before this. There was, uh, I think, Jokahomo and Mongoloid, they re- released on their uh, Boogie Boy Records thing. They pressed a thousand of them or whatever. Um, but that got picked up by stiff records along with uh but specifically because they had a song called be stiff which stiff was like of course we're gonna start putting this out um so oddly enough like they get done recording this with eno in late 77 and they're already charting in uh in europe off of the uh the demo like 45s they did that stiff was putting out I think Mongoloid charted number one in France. Um, Jocko Homo huh. was charting in Scotland and uh, Yugoslavia. Jocko <laughs> Homo <laughs> charted. Chart it, it did. Um, and, and, oh yeah, and their 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 cover of Satisfaction was charting in uh, Great Britain at that point in time. Um, even before like this record came out, they're already they when they got done recording, they're hanging out in, uh, in England and they were on the cover of melody maker. They found out <laughs> and, uh, their music was already like doing very well. Um, that's getting ahead of all kinds of things. I have so many things to talk about guys, but I want other people to start talking before I just make this the Rob show. Was so. the, uh, Devo's cover of satisfaction was it done the same year as the residents cover of satisfaction or did they do theirs like a year or two earlier? The they came up with their cover of Satisfaction in '76. Residents did or Devo did? No, Devo did. I'm not sure when the oh. residents did theirs. What it is was it? the thing to do at the I, time. I was going to say, what is it about that song? <laughs> such a like, well, both of those bands are such iconoclasts, you know. And Satisfaction is such. It's like as standard of a rock and roll song as you can get without getting into the Beatles, you know. That's true, uh, Bob two was just playing that riff like they were at the practice space it was super cold out he was doing that alan started playing that uh that drum beat over top of it and uh 
then everyone thought that was hilarious. Jerry decided to try to play a uh, like a reggae uh, bass line to it, which they thought was very, very funny. Um, and then Mark started singing Painted Black over it. It was originally Painted Black until Bob One was like, hey, why don't you try out uh, Satisfaction instead? And uh, then they kind of A-B'd the uh, chorus for it. And that's how that song like came to be. It was just, it was a complete accident. It, it could have been Painted Black. I might be misremembering this. I know uh, uh, Eno produced this, but wasn't David Bowie originally supposed to produce this? Yeah, he was. Um, he he actually he announced that he was going to be producing this band in Japan, like on uh, on the stage at Max's Kansas City, uh, and then got stuck. Uh, he had to go. It was a uh, just a gigolo. He had to be in that movie. With that <laughs> obligation, like it went to uh, Eno, but Mark Mothersbaugh said he always wanted, like Eno was number one for doing the producing, like in his mind. Um, Bowie was uh, said he was going to do it, and then he couldn't do it, so Eno was able to do it. Um, but yeah, originally it was supposed to be Bowie. Yeah, initially uh, after some New York show. Uh, Eno and Fripp showed up to it and then they went back to Robert Fripp's place and listened to records and Robert Fripp said he wanted to produce them and Eno said the same thing. Um, it, which I didn't know that Fripp, Fripp was in the uh, production game. It seems like Eno keeps on winning these arguments of who gets to produce the, the <laughs> hip new bands from America. He seems like kind of relentless. I could see him being relentless. I could see him being also very professional. Yeah, he did the same thing to Talking Heads. Yeah. <laughs> so he, yeah, he's probably pretty on top of the game of getting a uh, getting it to, to happen. They uh they didn't like what Eno was trying to do to them. <laughs> they they had a very specific idea of what they wanted their uh, sound to be and um uh yeah, I, I was just, I was just watching an interview with Mark Mothersbaugh uh kind of like pre-gaming for this and uh, he was talking about like he just recently like found the 24 tracks of the recording session and like Eno has everything like labeled on there like apparently he has beautiful handwriting it's like calligraphy <laughs> so like <laughs> yeah so like uh you know everything's labeled all the eqs what effects were used on it so it could be mixed down at a, another point in time if they wanted to but in between all of that stuff is like multiple synthesizer tracks that Eno recorded specifically and multiple like backing vocals that Eno recorded <laughs> that, they, <laughs> that they just turned down during the master mix. <laughs> it would be fun to hear. Yeah, it well, would be fun to hear the Eno mix. Yeah, the ones that were this that they kept the Eno stuff were Shrivel Up and uh, Space Junk, but everything else they were just like, eh. <laughs> yeah, Mark said um, uncontrollable urge. Jocko and Too Much Paranoia also has uh, some stuff of his on there. I think the Uncontrollable Urge, the uh, synthesizer part during the uh, the breakdown, um, I think that's Eno's work. Um, mm -hmm. But I've, I've been trying to like listen for like what doesn't quite match up with their live like mid seventies stuff that could have been put in there by Eno. Um, you know, listening to this album again, like in headphones, you know, this week, uh, I haven't listened to it in a while, but I've been listening to a lot of old Devo recordings just because I always do. And it's <laughs> so clean sounding compared to like what they were doing live at the time. Like, oh, yeah, it sounds great, but it's so different. I mean, the songs aren't slower or anything, but he's like sanded the, the edges off. Like, 
Uh, the drums are, they sound great, but they're really small sounding. The guitars aren't as hard. I mean, it's, it's just different. Do you know what I'm talking about, Rob? Do you I, kinda... Yeah, absolutely. And I think that might be their fault because they weren't letting Eno do what he wanted to do. Like they, uh-huh. they were going, they were trying to recreate those demos so hard, like that, that they kind of painted themselves in a corner um, because yeah. of it, which, but no, I absolutely agree. Um yeah, like any of those uh, Mongoloid years, like live recordings. Yeah. If you guys haven't heard that, holy shit! Oh my god, it's a uh, it's cuckoo bananas. Just how fast and loud and aggressive this band was. I've seen some. Yeah, I know, Rob. Uh, you and I uh, footage of them doing uncontrollable urge in like mid seventies on a. Uh, it's like uh, there's like a few American shows and I think uh, like a few European shows, but like like TV shows, but like they're not like playing to a track. They're like they're doing their thing. It's cool. Like I love the performances and it, it's it's way faster than the record. And and they've got that cool choreography during Uncontrollable Urge. The whole thing is just fun to watch. Yeah. yeah. Um, speaking of choreography, uh, just a couple of other fun things about the uh, the recording process on this. Um, so at that point in time, Jerry was dating Tony Basil or Basil. I don't know how you're supposed to pronounce it at this point in time. Um, but I don't, do you guys know who she is? Yes. Oh, Mickey, you're fine. Yes, exactly. Okay. I get a thumbs up and hey, yeah, I wish we were all hanging out. You guys remember the before time? That was cool. <laughs> Vaguely. Uh, it's been so long, um, but, uh, so yeah, like they, they weren't signed to a label or anything when they went in to record. This was another example, or this was one of the examples of Eno being like, Oh, I'll just pay for it. I'll get you guys over there. We'll record it like Connie Plank studio and whatever. So he flies them out, flies all their equipment out and everything. And, uh, Jerry is on the phone at the airport arguing with Tony Basil and misses the flight. So like one day was lost in the recording process because he was having a fight with uh, Tony Basil because she was like, why aren't you going to be at my LA premiere of this dance thing that I'm doing? Because she was like the major choreographer of like of everything over, uh, over that particular point in, or over in uh, LA. Uh, but yeah, they started dating because she found out that uh, Jerry was the one that was doing the, uh, the choreography for Devo. Really? Huh, yeah. Cool. So they lost a day w- when Jerry misses flight. Mm-hmm. How much of one of their recording days did they spend just sawing down Jerry's bass for aerodynamics? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> but those those pictures of Connie Plank is just butchering that uh, that bass is absolutely beautiful. You, yeah, so Stiff Records put out uh, B-Stiff. Yes. Uh, and... So the the cover of the single for Be Stiff isn't that like about the same as this cover? Only it's actually a p- picture of Chichi Rodriguez as opposed to a de-evolved picture of a human. Yes, I learned that story this week, and that story is fascinating. It's hilarious. <laughs> I, I I know I know that uh, uh, I know that you know Rob, but uh, um, no, tell it. So Chichi Rodriguez was a fam- uh, famous golfer uh, uh, at the time, and uh, the the bo- the Devo boys at some point they saw at a store it was like a, a like a pack of golf balls or something, and the top of the pack of golf balls that hangs on the peg on the rack was uh, it was like a little golf ball shaped 
uh, thing, and it had a picture of Chichi Ramirez, uh, Chichi Rodriguez's head, and he's always wearing his like a uh, Panama hat on it. And uh, they, I don't think they knew much about Chichi Rodriguez, but they they really fixated on that image of like just like kind of like cheesy Americana, like handsome guy golfing, and uh, they they liked that and they ended up using that as uh, the cover for be stiff. And they liked that enough that they wanted to use it again for uh, when their, when their debut album came out. But the label was like, Oh no, that's Chi Chi Rodriguez. Uh, he's, he's a famous guy and we can't just go around using his likeness. He will absolutely <laughs> like, take you to court on that. <laughs> so, uh, Devo really wanted to use it. So they ended up writing Chichi Rodriguez a letter uh, asking if they could use his likeness. But the clock was ticking on needing to release this album. They didn't have uh, like they didn't have a response at, from him yet and they needed to make a decision. So uh, another thing that uh, that Mark Mothersbaugh had uh, had in his back pocket, not literally, but it was this thing from a newspaper they had clipped out that someone had made like an amalgam of different u.s presidents of the mid 20th century it was like the nose of eisenhower and like the ears of johnson and it was kennedy and I, ford and nixon i think yeah 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 one other so one. yeah they, so they decided oh so since we don't have chi chi's permission we'll just make it not chi chi anymore we'll use these facial features of, of of different presidents to to just paste on this human so it doesn't look like Chi Chi anymore, and they released it. But if you're looking at it, it it's almost like got an uncanny valley effect. Like it looks wrong, but you can't really tell what's wrong with it. And part of it is if you like draw a line down the middle, like the the center line between the eyes and the nose and the mouth is almost got like an S curve as as you go down it. <laughs> But oh, eventually, Chichi Rodriguez did respond to their letter. He thought it was an awesome idea, and he said, "Yes, absolutely, go ahead and use it as long as you send me a copy so I can like show my friends." He asked for fifty. He asked for fifty copies. Oh yeah, for yes, fifty <laughs> copies. I think that's fair. Yeah, but it is. It's a really disturbing image, and it's like a really like fitting like story to go with like how they would get album art in the first place right it's like we have to remove the commercial copying because of like corporate concerns right and then it's just like really becomes really strange and like a caricature of itself <laughs> i do really like that on the front of his hat it's, it's still printed actual size yep all <laughs> <laughs> that you're buying <laughs> <laughs>
they ended up getting enough money to do the uh, do the movie off of landing a rustoleum uh, like thing. They came up with the term or the they came up with the phrase "rust never sleeps." That was uh, that, that was, was, that was Devo. Devo yep. came up with that. Um, yeah, eventually Neil Young borrowed it. Well, but they're, yeah, they're, they're buddies, though, right? Yeah, totally. Um, but yeah, yeah, that that Rustoleum ad campaign was uh, was Devo before Devo became Devo. Oh wait, I, I found to be a very interesting. Yeah, man, guys, we need to raise some money to make to to make our our punk student film an album. You want to go work for this ad agency? <laughs> it's a story that I like. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're just screen printing shit, man. And uh, do you guys, yeah, you guys know how Devo started, right? Like the the concept. I know Kyle does. Like they were at Kent State when the shootings happened, like when the uh, National Guard came in, and that was kind of the uh, the 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 turning point for like. Uh, what Mark Mothersbaugh described was like, you can like go out and protest and everything, but like if things get too real, they will just, they'll fucking kill you, which is what they learned from that. And the only way to actually have protests that like did anything was by subverting or just like subversion. So their, their concept of uh, like art and music was just to be as subversive as possible. And when I, first listened to this record i remember like i i knew like i knew gut feeling and i think i knew uncontrollable urge but like some of the deeper cuts on it were like eh, there was it, it was so weird when it hit my ears for the first time which i think was its uh intended effect but i realized when i was revisiting it this this week i think i've listened to this album so many times that it doesn't sound weird to me anymore like it I'm like tapping my foot along to like Jocko Homo and stuff. <laughs> it, it, it's, it, it has just, it has grown inside my head and my ears. And, and I really like it. I like this album guys. <laughs> yeah. I, th- awesome. I would say it sort of permeates um, from repeated listens because at first you're listening to satisfaction thinking, wait, what time is this in? And, how are they covering satisfaction a rolling stone song and yeah all that sounds completely alien at the time but as you on repeated listens it absolutely becomes normalized in a weird in a strange way that of course devo has figured out how to do i think a lot of their appeal too has to do with um not just their image but the sort of presentation of the songs in a straightforward stripped down manner that doesn't deviate too much into um it's sort of like the talking heads where it doesn't it doesn't like it it never strays so far from a sort of pop element or rock Mm -hmm. element that it is accessible in a way but it does make you it does challenge you to consider what is going on within the band so I think that's it's really smart of them to to have both sides almost fighting each other, the a pop element and the art uh, element sort of fighting. I think Roxy Music also did that pretty well. Um, I think they're they're a little more rock. Um, well, I guess it's debatable depending on which song, but yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, yeah, 
you can definitely point to a lot of similarities between like the residence and Devo, but it's like, you can put this record on in your car, you know, drive around with your family, you know, you can't really just randomly throw in a residence record and, you know, get stuck in traffic with your friends, you know, like, <laughs> I'm sorry, Anne, were you about to say something? Yeah. I was just going to say that it works as a subversive piece of art because it's so catchy and like, Oh yeah. You want to keep listening to it and listen to it over and over again. Um, and I also like, I like what I like about listening to it in the project and in the context of the book is that it, it does feel like it fits with things we've heard, but it's also so futuristic and like, it does make me appreciate more like what it would be like to exist at the time this came out and hear it and like how exciting that would be. I think like to hear something that sounds like this, that's so unique from like a lot of what's going on. Yeah, like, I was I was going to say it's it, exciting. It's absolutely and put it's it, fun. <laughs> like, it's absolutely put it in context um, from doing this project because I wasn't really familiar with Pierre Ubu before and hearing them and hearing Devo and it being that uh, bunch of weirdos from Ohio. Yeah, yep. <laughs> absolutely. It was a weird place. There were a couple <laughs> songs I was listening to on this album. And I was like, oh, Pierre Ubu, you know, it, I just got the same vibe, the sort of. Uh, obviously they're they're doing their own thing, but it, it really makes sense to me uh, just having that lineage. Yeah, Mother Ma and Dave Thomas have, they have a similarly eccentric way of delivering lyrics sometimes. Yeah. Should, we, should we mention Devo uh, 2.0? Is this the only Devo record we're talking about? This is the yeah. only Devo yeah. record really? we'll be talking about. So you get your Devo. Mm-hmm. If we're talking about like these songs, like these songs are great um, and you can cover, you know, kids like this song, Uncontrollable Urge. Um, but there was a band called Devo 2.0. Uh, has everybody heard of Devo 2.0? For Kyle, you, you and I know of Devo 2.0. I think I Just, heard about it from Ryan you guys Paulson, know about but yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know about it from you. Because <laughs> I think you were all yeah. talking about it when it came out. Because it was like 2009. Yeah, it was really strange. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there was like a Disney like kid band like on the Disney Channel, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, like they have like the Mouseketeers band or whatever. This was like a female fronted group of like twelve uh, year old kids playing Devo songs. Were they well, good? The These songs are just good. I mean, um, it wasn't a lot of stuff off this record. They didn't play Mongoloid or anything, but they played you know, <laughs> a really good version of like "That's Good." You know, uh, nice. They did "Boy You Want." You know, mm-hmm. um, oh. But it's just interesting because this stuff, I mean, it's subversive and it's weird. And, you know, one of the songs, the lyrics are like a Burger King jingle. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> and then you hear, you know, you hear Devo, you hear Beautiful World in like a Target commercial now. You know, you see a Disney <laughs> group of kids, like 12-year-old kids singing these songs. And it's it's like they get to have their cake and eat it, too, because they can <laughs> sell out and sell out and sell out and just be like, it's Devo, baby, you it's know, like, <laughs> this is part I don't of the them, you know, I've, I've given them a lot of my money. Um, oh, no, Devo 2.0, they, they, they turned uncontrollable urge into a song about, a uh, having a snack attack. Yeah. <laughs> it is, that well, is I an equally uncontrollable urge. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It's kind of amazing that, uh, a lot of art that always speaks about selling out or, or not just commercialism in general, a lot of art that has commercialism also has commercial appeal. Andy Warhol, um, you know, <laughs> even like 
Banksy who who just is like, no, this this isn't commercial. It's so commercial. It's it, it just becomes a it eats it's like a eats its own tail. Well, it's if a, art's really yeah. good, you can interpret it in all these different ways and like yeah. it will appeal to a broader audience, right? Because there's a lot for everyone mm-hmm. to take mm-hmm. from it. So Yeah. But yeah, sure. it is it is kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, insofar as art is concerned and Devo, um Jerry was teaching at Kent, uh, like some of the, I guess he was student teaching, uh, some of the art classes, but his, uh, he got Mark in, uh, to the art program before, like two years before he should have been allowed in there. Um, but their professor turned them on to Max Ernst and, uh, Kurt Schittler, Schiller. Yep. Uh, yeah. Bauhaus surrealism and, uh, Russian constructivism, which was the, uh, more important thing for Devo's like aesthetic going forward. Uh, also at that point in time, Jerry tried to change his name legally to Protar and it <laughs> was not allowed. <laughs> Sorry, you're Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the shit they were doing like 71, 72 is they'd go around to art openings like Cleveland and around uh, Kent university, mostly just like the pretentious student art things. And, um, so be Jerry and Mark like dressed kind of like just art critic, like, you know, black sunglasses, but they had these, uh, bandoliers of enema bags full of milk and they, the, and their, their buddy, um, I forget his name. Uh, he was wearing just like a wrestling mask, like a full face wrestling mask and like gym shorts and like, kind of like crawling around on all fours. And they, they called him poop man and they would go in, they would like go to whatever the uh, most uh, like the saddest like picture and they would go up next to it and just be like poop man. And they point <laughs> at it. And then the, their buddy would either like hold his nose and like shake his head or he'd put, push his ass towards the, uh, <laughs> towards, towards the artwork. And then they'd feed him out of the, uh, <laughs> The enema bags eventually getting kicked out of all of these art openings, which, uh, Why? According to, uh because it was performed. <laughs> yeah, they, 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 they were they were doing performance art before they knew that was called performance art, which or they were just being assholes. One of two, I, um, I think, by doing <laughs> your own art at someone else's opening, it, it, you know, it's a fine line between art and asshole. <laughs> <laughs> They said they said it wasn't very good art that they were looking at, so which is kind of rude, but whatever. Um, also, they met on campus because Mark was uh, doing a bunch of graffiti of astronauts holding potatoes. Um, Jerry's What's his potato thing? Maybe he's not good at drawing other vegetables. Loves potatoes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, the, the the they they actually discussed it. Um, trying to figure out what the potato meant. Um, and they came up with that, uh, that they were the potatoes like, and the astronaut was bringing them to space because they were rough and oblong and underground. Um, and then like a fancier people could be like asparagus or some other like better vegetable, but potatoes are the unsung staple of everyone's diet. And so the, concept of like being a spud boy and uh Mm -hmm. the whole potato like thing like that's kind of the beginnings of them building the language up uh originally devo was pronounced uh like art deco uh so devo um because they were doing art that was devolved um Mm. but 
then someone called it Devo and they just stuck with it. Devo they works stopped better, correcting yeah. people. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. They stopped correcting people. Kind of like Gary Backman of Bachman Turner Overdrive. <laughs> but yeah. Um, Remember that time we, we went and saw Devo? I do. That was oh, so the time fun. that we met Mark Mothersbaugh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He he asked us what, do you want, you want to tell that story? <laughs> <laughs> so we're we're outside of the Devo show in Indianapolis, uh, amazing show, and uh, we're sitting there. We've got our energy domes on and such, and Mark Mothersbaugh comes up, uh, you know, idle. Uh, he comes right up to us. He's, he sees the energy domes, and he goes, you guys know where Brothers is? <laughs> <laughs> Brothers. Uh, it's a lame bar. Oh, the restaurant chain, bar. chain and bar the, uh, that you used to work at. <laughs> yeah. The uh, sports. I never worked at Brothers. Oh, sports I bar. You did. He, he worked at Scotty's. Scotty's. Sorry. I worked at Scotty's Prima. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I guess you know, never meet your idols, but I. Well, I, I remember <laughs> all three. Of, all three almost. of us were. He walks up to us, we see him, and he asks where Brothers is, and all three of us were just so dumbstruck that we didn't say anything. And he's like, all right, Ben, and just like walks away. (laughs) (laughs) That show was really, really good. Kyle, the show that we saw them do in Chicago, uh, that was... That was at the Vogue, the one that we saw. Uh, that the was the, yeah, that was the uh, something for everybody tour. Um, when they yeah, came we saw out, them when they like first got back together after a long time. Yeah, and they were bad. It was bad. It was real bad. They were bad. Oh, really? Yeah, they were super out of shape. Like their faces got real red. They fucked up all the time. <laughs> what uh, year was something for everybody? Was that like 2011, something like that? 2010. Like 2010. Yeah, it's been 10 years. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That was a great show, though. Do you guys yeah, still have your great. energy domes? I lost mine at some point in the last decade. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, mine. <laughs> oh, you going to go get it? <laughs> I was kind of surprised you weren't wearing it to begin with, to be honest. Uh, I meant the blue one. Didn't we all get blue ones? That that died with my van. <laughs> when my van got towed away and then sold at auction, someone gained three energy domes. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> they all were. <laughs> yeah, and a BB gun. I hope somebody's keeping like a bunch of old nails in one of them. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> they put it. They actually use it as a flower pot. Oh, flower pot! Great. <laughs> yeah, and the uh, the energy dome design came from an Art Deco lamp that was hanging in one of the Akron like uh, high schools. That's cool. I could see yeah. that. Yeah. That's great. Love me some art deco. It's a nice layer cake. MTV is an interesting story about Devo. Uh, back when they only had like three, uh, three cities were carrying MTV. They were just begging everyone. Hey, if you're in a band, give us a thing. We're going to play your music. You know, we can't pay you, but it's going to be, you know, good advertisement. Exposure. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and, and Devo was one of the, you know, one of the only bands at that point in time that had a whole bunch of like music videos. So they're getting played quite a bit. Then they go national. All that shit stops <laughs> <Just> <laughs> on, on, on a fucking dime. Like uh, they would, uh, 
yeah, they, they just wouldn't get played anymore. And the like the last video that was sent out to them uh, to John Sykes, who is uh, one of the uh, one of the CEOs or w- one of the guys who made MTV uh, was for that's good. And John Sykes calls up uh, Jerry Casale and says, I know what you're trying to do, Casale. I watched your video. I saw the French fry going into the donut. <laughs> personally and jerry's like okay what 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 do, you, what do you what do you mean like uh you know french fry going to a donut and then like yeah I, I know what that means and then jerry brings up well you know i watched a billy idol video where he slaps a leather clad model's ass and then sings between her legs and uh <laughs> Sykes re- responded with, "Well, that's different. It is different <laughs> because apparently, apparently, you can you can sexualize uh, if you if you're just sexualizing. I know what that means. People, <laughs> it's okay, but if you're if if it's a wink and a nod, it it, it becomes like it, it's no longer like okay. And for whatever that person's like sexual proclivity, uh, which is interesting. But yeah, they didn't uh, oh, they didn't wow. really have videos on MTV after that. What about with it? Uh, Whip it was before that. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Have you he, guys seen uh, the music video he did for uh, Jimi Hendrix? Are you experienced? <laughs> I sure have. <laughs> yeah. Um, it features Jimi Hendrix uh, as a skeleton, like jumping out of a coffin and playing guitar. <laughs> 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 right. okay. Ahead of their time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's great. Yeah, they uh, their video for the last uh, they did for Warner Brothers, right? <laughs> yeah, that is the the video for a Beautiful World got uh, got a lot of like good press and accolades, and AFI had it as like uh, a uh, exhibition piece for a minute. Um, if you hmm. guys aren't familiar with that video, I would say I got to tell you. Sometimes I think about um, Max trolling you with the Devo quote. So at one time, uh, Rob left his phone unlocked, which you never do around someone like Max and Max took it (laughs) or no, I'm sorry, Max and I, it was Josh Johnson. Josh Johnson took Rob's phone and he posted, uh, I think on Facebook, he said, whip it is Devo's best song and I'll fight (laughs) you. Oh, that's good. Sick bird. Yeah, I left. <laughs> <laughs> oh, classic prank. I left my really phone at the hotel of the casino boat in Indiana, and I had to d- drive back there to retrieve it from Louisville. That was a. Uh, All right, you lost your phone. That was a. Yeah, that sucked. What a fun time that was. <laughs> oh yeah, that was during it his bachelor sure party. Oh, that yeah. was during his bachelor party. At the horseshoe, the- yeah. Kate got really drunk that night. Oh, yeah. It was fun. <laughs> uh, Mark Mothersbaugh got Rona. He did yeah. get Rona. Yeah, he he did. almost died, man. He was... Oh, and he was living next to a bunch of crazy TikTokers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? The most 2020 article I'd ever read in my life. Yeah, like the, he was living next to TikTok and Instagram inf- influencers. Like, and they were just, they were, that's they were the perfect these, place. That's exactly where he needs to live. But he, he was, they were having all these giant parties, like, oh, yeah, in defiance of the coronavirus and everything. I do find it really interesting. Every single time I'll, 
I think his name just pops up all the time when I'm watching TV, movies, anything. Mark Mother's Ball is just everywhere. Yeah, let's touch on that. The, it's the, quite the, the first in- thing that wasn't Devo that I remember seeing his name on was the Rugrats theme song. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, of course, uh, by from like the mid 90s forward, uh, the, the film scored to every Wes Anderson movie, is it? Not. Mm-hmm. No, I don't think it's everyone. It's not. It's like four or five, though. It's a lot. It's okay. a lot of them. Yeah. Like the Royal Tenenbaums. And- uh, probably as many as uh, Bill Murray's in. <laughs> <laughs> that's that, that's that, that's fair. That's a, that's a decent percentage. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, gut, gut feelings used at a, during a pivotal scene in uh, Life Aquatic. That is yes. correct. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of Rugrats, uh, Mark, this thing that I saw of Mark Mothersbaugh, he... Uh, he was talking about backmasking and like how he thought it was funny that like all of the Christians were up in arms about like Ozzy Osbourne, maybe putting like satanic backmasking in. So what he did was he recorded, um, he recorded Jesus loves you like, and then played it backwards and tried to figure out what it sounded like. And so everything (laughs) from like, like since Rugrats, he's put in, uh, I don't know if you can hear this. We smell sausage. Do you hear that? We smell sausage. We yep. smell sausage. This, this is it backwards. This must see you. It's Jesus. Yeah, we, we smell sausage. Is Jesus loves you backwards? <laughs> uh, <and> so, <laughs> he's been uh, he's been putting that into all of his commercials <laughs> and everything, like just hidden somewhere because he thinks it's hilarious. Yeah, he does a lot of commercial work as well. Um, I feel like Devo giggles a lot. <laughs> oh yeah, there's a lot of stories about giggling. It's true. It's lovely. <laughs> it's nice to have a sense of humor. <laughs> he, uh, he likes giggling and uh, chain sports bars. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, wow, that that was so sad. <laughs> that bummed me out so much. I thought it was. I thought we were gonna have a discussion. I, I'm he assuming he was meeting someone. Yeah, yeah. You know, I remember, I remember, <laughs> I was looking for the drummer. Is what I heard. You guys should have just but, gone to brothers. It was Josh Freese at the time, wasn't it? Josh Freese was going to brothers. What the fuck? I, I can see that. Maybe it was the thing next to a person that had wandered around in a state, right? (laughs) It was also like a mere block away from the from the venue. So we just couldn't point, and it was nowhere that. Well, we we were we were uh, because we weren't standing on the sidewalk. We were actually sitting at a bar, (coughs) but we were at a table that was against an outer wall, and they had like the big like uh, big old hurricane windows open. So like it was like full access to the sidewalk. So yeah. so if he was just looking for any old bar, he, he was standing in front of one. But it wasn't Brothers. <laughs> he knows <laughs> what he not. wants. <laughs> looking for Josh Freeze. And for Josh Freeze. Most like he's not wrong to want Josh Freeze. Tell me more about the well, songs I don't know. Uh, on this album. I've never been to Brothers, so I don't maybe it's awesome. No, it's Isn't not. Isn't there one it's in Bloomington not. now? No, I've yeah. played a Brothers and it is not awesome. You did what? I played <laughs> at Brothers. Yeah, they had shows there. The, it I, wasn't awesome. The Broad Ripple one or uh, the Bloomington? Bloomington. One? Yeah. Did you get little cheeseburgers or anything? Oh, you know what? That was probably at the vid when they expanded <laughs> and they had not made it Brothers yet. It was very oh. shortly thereafter. Oh, it was. It I, was I, brothers. I did see that Hard Candy Heart show in the ground floor of the vid before it was Brothers. Yeah. How that was, was a cool it? Show. Yeah, I think I was there too. Yeah. <laughs> how was the show? It was a great show. I had a good time. Oh, good. 
thing I ended up picking up a record even. Nice. Would do again. Yeah. Um, uh, man, I re- remember shows. <laughs> I, re- I remember them before time. Uh, one more. I made eye contact with uh, Billy Corgan <laughs> at that Devo show in Chicago. Oh, really? Yeah. But you didn't fight him like the Highlander, which you should have because there could be only one, Kyle. Somebody pointed at him. I looked at him and he was already looking at me. Jumping back to this record and um, and Eno and Mark Mothersbaugh, uh, a couple of things. One, Eno's work in Roxy Music was a like like uh, before that. Mark Mothersbaugh had never heard anybody like make a synthesizer actually like be a melodic instrument that was actually a thing. And uh, that that song that I posted on the thread was the one that Mark Mothersbaugh like quoted as being like the synth solo on. Uh, what the hell was it? Editions of you. Edition uh, of you. Yeah, yeah. The synth solo on that is what like turned him on to like Eno and like the idea that like synthesizers could be used as like a like primary music thing and not just like emulating organs and stuff. And he was tired of like the the prog stuff that was doing that. Um, but during the recording, one of the uh, getting back to Eno. Eno brings out his uh, his deck of like oblique strategies and like hands it off to Mark Mothersbaugh and Mark Mothersbaugh is just not impressed at all. With this. <laughs> yeah. And he took what like there was a blank card and um, he put the blank card inside of a mousetrap like in the corner of the room uh, and Eno was very sad. <laughs> Rude. Yeah. That'd be, they, they just didn't How know. many blank cards are in the Oblique Strategies deck? I haven't That's run you into can write, one yet, but I'm sure. Yeah. yeah I don't know. That's where you, you can write your own strategy on the uh, yeah. on that. No, I, I get it. And if that's the case, yeah, I, I could make a deck of Oblique Strategies cards too. And you, but you write your own strategies. Yeah. Uh, does anybody have a favorite song that's not, you know, Uncontrollable Urge? Maybe mongoloid on this record gut feeling. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just something that just really stands out. And you're like, that song is too much paranoia probably for me. That one was really good. Is quite good. Yeah. I didn't remember that one before. Um, and re-listening was really, really surprising. Gut feeling got me here. Like <laughs> uh, I, I, I like the whole album, but the reason I picked it up the first time was, because they they snuck a, a really catchy rock song on there. Uh, have you guys read any of the Rolling Stone reviews for Diva Records? No, uh, they are blisteringly horrible, consistently through and through. I'm going to read you a little right. bit of one from Duty Now for the Future. Uh-oh. I just want you to know how much they hate Devo. Uh, <laughs> Devo is sort of the rock equivalent of Kurt Vonnegut taking off from premises it only half understands. These guys synthesize 
trenchant experimental trends into a hodgepodge that's compelling only to those without the intellectual vigor to penetrate the band's surface and the real pose underneath. Like the rest of the no wave in which they're appended as a kind of accessible doppelganger, Devo's funkless chubs have very <laughs> few new ideas. Most of the concepts on their second album, Duty Now for the Future, have been recycled from Frank Zappa and the Yardbirds and other 60 avant-gardists. And the handful of original notions they do try to express are mostly lame or fraudulent. As rock and roll, this sort of stuff is a horror show that dispenses with backbeat, melody, and raw emotion, i.e. all the things that ever made rock worthwhile. <laughs> Who wrote that? That is Dave Marsh. Sounds like a funkless chub to me. <laughs> funkless. <laughs> but but my, my biggest takeaway from that was, wait a minute, Rolling Stone doesn't like Vonnegut? <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, that's they interesting. Just, sh- just shitting on the whole Midwest. The entirety of the Midwest. Flyover states. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, it, but it ended up on uh, on Village Voices, like, you know, top 50 of the year still. Right. So. Sure. Yeah, I can understand someone being put off by Devo because they are very, what would I say? They're they're very in your face. Um, Their goal is to subvert. Yeah, well, and they have they have a a whole striking image that presents itself immediately, and I can see someone coming coming into seeing them and not understanding sort of a a larger scope and looking on the surface of Devo and thinking. What are these guys doing? They're trying to they're trying to be something that is, you know, really lame, like remaking satisfaction. If you were just to take them at a glance, it, it makes sense that I, I can see a lot of people be, just being turned away by. A, yeah, I mean, they started off by antagonizing people. I mean, um, the hardcore live show uh, where they <laughs> opened for Sun Ra. Yeah. Nineteen seventy four. Cincinnati. No, no. Yeah, 74 Cincinnati. They're opening for Sunrise. It's some goofball, like, local rock radio station thing. And, uh, you know, everyone's – it's like Halloween. Mm-hmm. So the crowd all dressed up. Devo comes out. They have these posters up everywhere that says, like, how long can you go with Devo? And they come out, and they play, like, I Need a Chick, and they play, like, all their old hardcore songs that are crazy offensive and bizarre and awesome. But uh, when they get to Jocko Homo – they're pretty much just uh, is Rob. How long is that song on there? Like eight minutes in this live show? 12 minutes. It's 12 minutes at least. On. And there are we not men? And he's pointing the microphone in these like drunk assholes faces. And they're like, you're a bunch of assholes. And they start like grabbing the band. And, <laughs> and the band just keeps playing in defiance of everybody there. Um, empties, <laughs> empties the room. Yeah. They empties empty the room. Like, yeah, which is exactly an opening band's job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah they, they 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 play they watch sun Ra by themselves <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm sure sun Ra was 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 thrilled that they drove his his crowd away <laughs> yeah and that's 74 you know this is 40 years later like that's wow yeah, that's amazing i love yeah. devo <laughs> they're, they're so fucking good can we talk about the devo albums that we can skip if someone ever wants to sure to yeah Devo. tell me tell me the rundown for devo albums uh smooth noodle maps worst I'm, I'm starting to like it Kyle <laughs> <laughs> I'm, getting old and I'm starting to like it 
Okay, that's what, kind of the beginning and is, end of the list. What's, to be what's honest. A, is there is there an order? Are, could you like could you go five. order top five and then bottom five or something? Come around and do our top f- first favorite. Duty now. Uh, what's, come on, guys. So uh, we're, we're we're doing this. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I I waffle between duty now and uh, uh, oh no, it's Steve-O for that take the top spot for me. Yeah, see, I like uh, this one in freedom of choice. I, I'm not as <laughs> versatile on Devo, but Freedom of Choice is definitely one that has stuck with me. Okay, but that's probably because because that was an entry point for for Devo. It's a, I think it's a it's a good entry point. It's got a lot of pop songs on it, which one of the yeah. reasons I like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have to say, oh no, it's Devo. It's almost mm-hmm. tight. This one or with uh, Duty now. Yeah, I. I- I'd go uh, top five. I'd go. Oh no, it's Devo. Uh, Do you now for the future? New traditionalists. Ooh. Question answer. And then, uh, yeah, the freedom of choice. That that'd be that'd be my five. So yeah, I guess that's that's pretty much a straight run, but it's leaving out what. Shout, shout total devo that leaves this out one. shout leaves out total devo and i said question answer oh sorry yeah sorry i don't know if you're down with the lingo sorry <laughs> <laughs> i'm only uh, in one family right now yeah it, it leaves out shout leaves out total devo leaves out smooth smooth noodle maps and it leaves out uh something for everybody so you're saying that uh everything up until 82 is is gravy uh, I mean, I like Shout. Shout's so. 84. I'm looking right now. Yeah. Uh, you've mentioned everything up to 82 yeah. in, in oh, your yeah. list. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't dislike the other ones. I just like the other, I, I like the ones that I listed better. Honestly, though, if I, I would, I would say just listen to, uh, like, oh shit, what about Hardcore v- Diva Volume 1 and 2? Oh my God, what are we supposed to do with yeah. all of this? There's so yeah. many good records. God, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, I do have one more story. Okay, sorry. It, 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 I have one more story. It, it just came to me. Uh, we, were, we talked about it uh, when we were doing the uh, John Lydon uh, Sex Pistol stuff. Um, so when Eno does, the, Eno does the record, they aren't quite signed yet. Stiff is doing the uh, distribution for the singles. And enter Richard Branson. Um, they're they're about to head back over to uh to the state side. Branson shows up. Um he may have been the one showing up with the melody maker saying, Hey, do you guys want to play a few shows around town? Like you guys are charting. They play a few shows. Branson's like, I really want to I really want to put this like record out for you. But at that point in time, uh Island only had European distribution. So they're trying to figure out a way to like get it done like where Warner Brothers is gonna like take care of the American side, and then Branson will take care of this side. Wait, Island or Virgin? Was it Virgin? Branson's Vir- that, uh, Virgin, yeah. Okay, so Virgin. Sorry. Um, they go back to Akron, and then Branson says, "All right, go to Jamaica, guys. We we got to talk about some stuff." So Mark and I think Bob too go to go to Jamaica. They meet with Branson at this beautiful like hotel here we go and they're like all right so uh 
we found your uh, new lead singer, and it's John Lydon. <laughs> they, bring in, they, they bring in the front man of the Sex Pistols, who's going to be the new uh, new front man for for Devo. And uh, Mark Brothersbaugh is so high, like he smoked a whole bunch of weed, and he just starts cracking up. Just can't stop laughing at, at the concept. Um, <laughs> But like this whole like scenario kept this album from being released because Branson was like, had this happened, like this album would have never existed. Um, so Lydon yes. was there in person. Yes. Lydon was he, high Lydon, and laughing at him in person. Yes. Lydon flew to Jamaica to be turned down by Tifo. <laughs> yes. I love it. Also, man, I respect some of Richard Branson's creative decisions, but I think that John Lydon fronted Devo would have been horrible. And that's my opinion. Also, I love Devo and I hate John Lydon. So <laughs> it's yuck and my yum. <laughs> but in an alternate timeline, I would, I would like to hear that record. No, thanks. <laughs> it's not Just preferable. A, a thought experiment. I, I would like to hear it. Devo, it, uh, I, I really don't want to yeah. keep on carrying on. I, I it just like, Devo has something to say and John Lydon just has to say, well, what are you saying? Well, then the opposite of that. It is my impression of John Lydon, you know. Spot like, on. It's like hearing a mirror. <laughs> I didn't realize Lydon was in the on the podcast. <laughs> uh, I don't think we need to go around the room, do we? No. Yeah, no, listen no. to more Devo, guys. Yeah, yes, it's my favorite. Should. Yeah, this this might be my favorite band of all time. I'm I'm done. Devo <laughs> <laughs> was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a wonderful um, and definitely a, a strong debut. I mean, we've been talking about, you know, what's the best debut. This this could be up there in it's some talks, one. especially for it's very good. I, I, I was thinking today just how impactful they are. Obviously, Kraftwerk was very impactful, but I think they have a they had quite a different flavor. And there's mm-hmm. so many new wave bands that. I think looked at Devo and they, they were just like that, that is, that is what we're going to do. You know, they created a whole culture of, of what sort of new wave represented in this, in this weird time that uh, everything was going on. It's so strange to think about the progenitors of, of these different uh, movements, but Devo is definitely like at the forefront of that stuff. So cool. Yeah. All right. Agreed. Next time we'll be talking about Dire Straits. Dire Straits. All right. Thanks, y'all. Man, that went a long time, guys. Sorry. I knew it would. (laughs)